Mike said we need a new equation, which is sales minus profit equals expenses, right? You pay yourself first. Your business pays itself first. Welcome to Monday Mornings with Michelle, the new business podcast. Whether you're kicking off your day or kickstarting your business, Michelle is going to kick your ass into next week with the essential fours. Strategy, systems, support, and state of mind. Now, welcome to center stage, Michelle Nedelec. Hey there, peeps. This is Michelle Nedelec, and I am super glad that you're here with us today because I am here with my most amazing guest, Rocky. Rocky, thank you so much for being here with us today. Michelle, thank you so much for having me. Excited to join you. So let us know who you are and what you love to do. So who am I? I'm a dad, right? I, now I got two kids. One just got married. The other is finishing college. So I've been relieved of, of many of my day-to-day duties, uh, married for 27 years to my lovely wife. And so, you know, at the end of the day, that's kind of who I am. Um, that's what I live my life for. And then I have to make money like the rest of us so we can go enjoy that part. <laughs> and basically what I do is I work with business owners to help them have a growing and more profitable business. Nice. I love that. So clearly you wrote profit first. What is it about profit that is kind of your driving force? Why the emphasis on that? So let's face it. Um, small business is the backbone of America, right? They are who creates the jobs. They are who provides the jobs. They are the ones who create, I think, the the new path forward. So as much as you might want to look at Microsoft or Dell, you know, at one point they were small businesses that became big businesses. And there's many other numerous stories like that. The more strong business owners we have, the more we have people who can generate income, the less we rely on government. The less we rely on government, the happier we will all be. Here, here. Right? <laughs> right? So I, I think, you know, for me, it's about freedom um, for people. And just it makes for a stronger country, which makes a better place for me, better place for my kids, and a much more wonderful place to live. Love that. And, of course, you're preaching to the choir. I am all about this. I love this subject. I love helping people become profitable. I help them. I love when they see that profit really is the driving force behind running a business. <laughs> well, you know, sometimes you hear it profits evil, <gasps> which is absurd. <laughs> why is profit evil? That is totally absurd. I can't, I can't even imagine why one would think that. I, you know, I think there's a lot of people who have these types of attitudes. And so it, it, when you say the words profit first, everyone starts thinking, oh my God, they're against people. They're against the environment. They're against this. They're against that. And it's nothing but silliness. I mean, the reality is you can't pay your people without profit, mm-hmm. right? You can't, when you have money, you can start to live by your values instead of your bank balance. You don't have to to choose, oh, should I do this because I have to cut a corner? You can do what's right because you have the ability. And so I think from that standpoint, profit's a good thing. Profit is an awesome thing. And I think 
it becomes skewed when big corporations are putting profit before um, before what's ethical, what's right, what's you know the considerations of their footprints and all that kind of fun stuff. But I think when it comes to small businesses, the majority of them are so hung up on that big business mentality that they're not looking at, can I pay my bills this month? <laughs> can I, you know, oh yeah, I know I'm not making any money on this, but I'll make up for it, you know, in volume. And you can't make up <laughs> for lack of profit through volume. It just doesn't work that way. You have to start with it initially. And I think as well that when somebody's really, really starting out, that they're afraid to put that profit in because they don't want to inflate themselves beyond the market and not sell something. And they're willing to sacrifice their own well-being for the sake of the company, much like they would for all of their children, <laughs> in order to help it to grow and succeed. But I don't think they realize that that doesn't need to happen. We have a simple saying, profit is a habit, not an event. So too often, I'll be profitable when fill in the blank. No, you, you began this business to be profitable. Be profitable now. Awesome. So give us some kind of tips, tricks. What are your principles and fundamentals behind that as opposed to just going, hey, I'm going to inflate my price 50% or 100% and off we go. So we believe in appropriate pricing, but let's take a step back. So the whole Profit First system comes out of the book. The book is written by Mike Michalowicz. Some of your listeners may have already heard about it. Mike is also a serial entrepreneur. Um, been through good times, been through bad times, been through some very bad times after a seven-figure exit. And it was during those bad times that he said, how did this happen? How do we, how do, we do things right? And so I think the first aha moment was that everyone has been given the wrong formula for profit. So let me guess, you've heard sales minus expenses equals profit. Yep. <laughs> so where is profit in that equation? It's at the end. It's a leftover, mm -hmm. an afterthought, which is why so many businesses struggle with it. Mike said we need a new equation, which is sales minus profit equals expenses. Right? You pay yourself first. Your business pays itself first. You take your profit and you don't skimp on that. And what you skimp on is your expenses. You don't just spend money for the sake of spending money. You constrain yourself. So there is uh, one of those principles out there. It's called Parkinson's Law. A lot of people haven't necessarily heard of it. But basically what it says is a business will use up all the time and money given to it. Right. So if you go to a business owner and say, hey, we've got a project. The first two questions are, what's your timeline and what's your budget? Whatever the timeline and budget are, that's what you're going to get probably with a little extra, right? So six months and $100,000, it'll take seven months and 110. <laughs> but if you come and say, hey, I got three weeks and 10 grand or 20 grand, they'll find a way to get it done in three weeks and 20 grand. And so the more we can constrain ourselves, the better off we are. Too often we throw money at problems instead of, being a little bit more resourceful because it's easy to just throw money at the problem. And then we go, wow, that didn't work out. Well, throwing money at problems doesn't always work. 
So people go, well, wait a minute, this, this doesn't make sense. How are you going to spend a fraction of the money and get the results? And everyone has heard of the 80-20 rule. The 80-20 rule permeates throughout your entire business, which means 20% of what you do gets you 80% of the results, which means 40% of what you do actually gets you 96% of the results, which means 60% of what you do produces 4% of the results. Figure out the 60, screw the 4%. You can actually go build another business and be at 192% of results and still have margin left over to enjoy your family and go do stuff, time and money. So this is, it's a lot easier for me to say this than it is to do it. Um, there's an excellent book that talks about it. It's uh, it's by Jonathan Burns. So Jonathan Burns is an MIT professor. He talks about pools of profit. And so he's not talking about little business. He's talking about those big businesses. And he basically says, if you look at a large business, 20% of that business produces 80 to 100% of the profit. 20 to 40% of the business is losing money. And the other 30 to 40% is breaking even. Now, here's where it gets interesting. Imagine you're the CEO of a large company and you go to Wall Street and go, we're going to cut sales by 60% this quarter. But trust me, I'm going to double profits. You get fired, right? What if you're a manager in that company? Are you going to go to the CEO and go, I took a look at our division and, well, we're really unprofitable. No one's going to say that. So there's all of these kind of social constraints that cause all these problems. And so the question is, is where are your 20%? Where's most of your business coming from? Where is the most profitable parts of your business? And then go spend your time and money and pivot your business that way. So classic example, I have someone who's got um, two different service lines. He does a lot of pressure washing. And then he does Christmas lights. So I looked at his business and I'm like, are you kidding me? You could take nine months off of the year. All your profits is coming out of Christmas lights. Your other stuff is nice. And yeah, it'll give you a little bit of money, but it's a lot of work for very little return. So go pivot your business. So talk to me about the psychology of this, because I find it kind of fathomable because if I were a business owner going, we're going to go, well, even as a shareholder, if you said to me, we're going to, you know, cut 60% of our sales and triple our profit, I'm like, yes, as long as I get dividends, happy camper, could not care less. Um, so like why? And, and even the, the window sprayer, like I get that, you know, at some point your wife kicks you out of the house and says, quit being a lazy bum and go and do something. At which point I would be really tempted to grab my, you know, fishing gear. <laughs> yes, you're going to work. Bye. <laughs> See you later. <laughs> Take the summer off. It's the best time. Why? Why wouldn't somebody do it that way if they have their business built that way? Well, A, I don't think everyone understands and has clarity on that. Two, let's face it, it's a vanity. Everyone, oh, I got a seven-figure business. I got an eight-figure business, right? Well, what if you go to the eight-figure business guy and go, hey, 
I got a new deal for you. You're going to go from eight-figure business owner to seven-figure business owner. How many of you are all in? No. So I think part of it is vanity. It's ego. And I think the other part, which is the bigger part, is most of the people that are listening are business owners and entrepreneurs. They're not accountants. So they're not digging through their numbers. They don't have clarity on what's going on. And even going back to the book that I was talking about with Jonathan Burns, he said most big companies don't have systems and processes in place to figure out where these pools of profit are. So it's not always easy to see it. In that particular example I gave you, it was easy because we could see the business lines clearly. But for most businesses, let's say you have 10 different services. Can you tell me which one's most profitable? Have you actually looked at the cost of time of the employees or the cost of goods of the advertising tied to each specific product line with not, we don't expect perfection, pretty good clarity and been able to see, hey, this is really where things are going. And then there's the other problem. Well, this is the way we always did it, or this is what I love. So there's a lot of emotions and ego that come into this. And that's what we have to let go of, I think. And, and I see that the, and a business owner that loves what they do, they're, they started their job because they're a great tradesperson, whatever. And they go, hey, I want to start my own company so that I have the freedom to take Fridays off. Awesome. Totally get that. And that to me is kind of before everything else, let's plan out what what lifestyle you want and why you're like, why are we doing this? And, and it, I think it always comes back to the story of the fisherman on the lake going and getting his stuff and the millionaire comes behind and goes, Hey, what do you do? <laughs> you know, we all know the story. And I keep going back to it almost every coaching call and going like, what are you trying to achieve? Because if you don't want to make an eight figure business with, you know, 75 employees and yada, blah, blah, blah. And all you want is a hundred grand. Like you can do that way easier. <laughs> There's way easier ways to do that. <laughs> Begin with the end in mind, right? Yeah. And work backwards. But too often we get caught up in, in all that hype and the excitement. And then you're a couple of years into it and you're looking around going, what, what happened? <laughs> right. Well, and even in retail, I see it. And I think it became prevalent. I think it was about the 90s. There were retail outlets that had walls and walls and walls of stuff and stuff and stuff. And then all of a sudden, I think it was Michael Kaur came out with a, a store that had like six things in it. It's like, you can have those shoes, that shirt, that skirt. <laughs> it's like, okay. And, and it... To me, from a shopping experience, it's like, oh my God, you're killing my shopping experience. But from the business perspective, it was, we make profit. So yeah. let's look at modern day retail. Look at Costco versus like a Walmart or a Target. They have a fraction of the items. They move them constantly. They understand their business plan. They don't make anything on the sales of stuff. They make it all on the membership fee, right? Mm -hmm. And they turn stuff over and they blow through it quickly. And they treat their employees really well. They pay them really well. So this isn't about greed. It comes back to where we started. Um, they just do a great job. And I think 
they've thought through their business plan, which I think every business owner, the more you think through your plan, the more you've got your mission values and purpose written down, the more you share it, and the more everyone believes in it and follows it, the better the employees you'll get, the more profitable you'll be, the easier life will become. Absolutely. And I think a lot of people don't realize that, and I believe Walmart and Costco are both kind of on a consignment model. Like they're not buying any of their inventory. So what about the the retailer that is going out and has to buy all of their, you know, their Christmas inventory in January going, okay, like how do I know what's going to be the 20% that's going to sell come Christmas? That's tough, isn't it? <laughs> right? So I, I think you have to reevaluate your business model. Number one, the first thing then is we need to have the margins. So if I need to slash stuff 50, 60, 70%, we have the margin to slash 50, 60, 70%. If I've got to carry inventory or, or cost for that long a time, have we accounted for it? Is there a better way to do this? Like, how do we reinvent our business model? That's the question. If you've got to have those long time frames, what can you do to totally reinvent your business? Because otherwise you're trapped. There are some businesses out there that I call them, they're in the commodity business. What I mean is they may be selling a high-end brand, but they don't have pricing uh, ability. They, they're stuck with the pricing the manufacturer is squeezing them, their overhead squeezing them. If you're in that kind of business, you got to ask yourself, how do I change it and why? And so here's what we do for those kinds of businesses, because I've worked with some of them. Um, we'll bring in private brands. So while I might be able to mark up a name brand two, two times, two and a half times, I can put a private label brand next to it and maybe mark it up four or five times. So even though I'm selling it for less dollars, I'm still making good profit on it. Um, what are the accessories that I can bring in? What, what is an add-on that brings high dollar, high profit margin? So what are the accessories where I get 20 to one? So, you know, the, the main commodity brings them in, but it's these other things that create the actual ability to create the profit. Nice. I love it. So give us an example of one of your Cinderella stories of one of your clients. Um, and so th there's two classic examples that come up uh, by using profit first. The, the number one thing I will hear people say to me, and it doesn't happen immediately, it's usually 12 to 18 months later. Their comment is, I've never had so much cash in the business. What do we do with this? Got <laughs> a good problem to have. <laughs> and, and so that's where we talk about a leaving, leaving a little bit of cash for lean and bad times, but then how do we reinvest the cash outside the business? So maybe that's buying real estate to rent to the business. Maybe it's starting a whole different business. Maybe it's just investing in stocks and bonds or something, you know, totally different. Um, or maybe it's just real estate outside the business. I like to create multiple streams of income because we never know when, when things are going to uh, go bad on us. The second success story, and I, I had um, 
Mike, so Mike had a business that exploded one year and that happens, right? We, we're doing well. And then all of a sudden we have a blowout year. I don't know how many of you have conversations with your CPA every quarter. Most people don't. They, they pay their quarterlies. Tax time comes around. The CPA doesn't call. Right? Three weeks go by. Finally, the CPA picks up the phone and calls. Like, sorry, I've been dreading this call, Mike. What's wrong? You owe a lot in taxes. He's like, yeah, I know. Business has been really, really good this year. He's like, how much do I owe? And she's like, well, it's almost six figures. He goes, no problem. I'll drop a check off. She's like, I've been doing this 20 years. No one's ever said that to me. Part of Profit First is putting money aside with purpose for what it's designed for. So we put money aside for taxes. And I've heard the story over and over again. Nobody likes paying taxes. But when tax times comes, the business owners are confident that whatever the CPA says that they need to stroke a check for, they have the ability to do it. And if they save too much for taxes, they get a bonus themselves. And so it's this weird dichotomy of, I love tax time <laughs> as much as we hate tax time. I think those are, because what Profit First does is it takes every dollar, it gives it a purpose, it sends it to go do that purpose. And part of those purposes are profit. Part of those purposes are paying the owner. What an amazing concept that you, the owner, should be paid in a timely basis. Um, part of it is saving for taxes. And then everything else is constrained for your operating expenses. Because if, if I give a business owner a ton of money, they'll spend it. They're like kids in a candy store. And so right. we really have to constrain them. And that's literally what it is. It's constraint on unnecessary and wasteful spending. Yes. And, um, and that's also where the fun to me comes in is being able to figure out how to restructure companies, corporations, startups to, to accommodate for that so that you're not necessarily paying <laughs> six figures in taxes, but that you're, you know, reinvesting that into different opportunities. Of course, talk to your tax accountant. Don't listen to me. Um. <laughs> well, so here's the, here's the, I'm going to tell you a dirty little secret because I, I, I come from a tax background. The tax preparer wants you to pay as little taxes as possible because then you will love them. Okay. What they don't tell you is by telling you to go buy the Ford F-150 Lightning for a hundred grand, yes, you won't pay taxes, but come March or April or May, you're going to have a cash flow crunch because now you have to pay that bill. But they're off the hook because they saved you on taxes. You see, you told them to save you on taxes. You didn't say, make me as profitable as I can be. And that's part of the problem. We have to make sure that the people around us are incentivized to do what we want. And that goes for your employees. Do you incentivize your employees to make you more profitable? Or do you incentivize to spend your money to bring in more business regardless of whether it's profitable. That's, and that's a, a 
an interesting conversation to have because it seems obvious in the sales role, but it doesn't necessarily seem obvious in the receptionist role or in the, right? But let's, let's look at That's it in true. the sales role, right? How do you incentivize your salespeople? Go out and bring in this much revenue. Oh, well, hmm, this customer doesn't want to buy. What if I discount it 20%? Well, then I'll hit my target and I'll get my bonus. And you, the boss and the owner, will have just given away your profit margin because you didn't incentivize me to maintain the profit margin. And talk about the receptionist. I think this is a profit center. You walk into a company, you pick up the phone and you call a company. That first person you talk to kind of sets the tone, doesn't it? Absolutely. So are they there with the attitude of, hey, this is a customer calling, even if they're mad. I love mad customers. You know why? They're going to do something. Right. More often than not, they'll actually buy something, right? Because they're uptight and that's what causes them to change. But if, if your employees understand, hey, this is how we make a profit, and this is how our profit helps pay your pay. And if you can show me a better way to do this, I'll give you a bonus. Nice. Love that. And who wouldn't, who wouldn't be motivated by that? Because they're, they're, in the, they're in the hot seat. They know what's going on, what, what's wasteful. I mean, how many times as, has an employee sat there and went, oh, my God, I could totally do this run this company better than you. <laughs> and if your if your employees are sitting there thinking that, why not utilize that? Oh, awesome. Okay. So if you did run the company, what would you do? What would that right. look like? And, and incentivize them. Pair of brain ideas, but more often than not, they want to keep their jobs. They do. And and I I tell you if you took that receptionist and they figured out a way to save your company $100,000 and you handed them 10 grand, I guarantee you they'll be looking for another 10 grand. Right. <laughs> right. And you just made 90. So don't worry about the 10. Enjoy your 90. Nice. I love that. So what are some of the stumbling blocks that an entrepreneur or business owner might be having right now? And they're thinking, oh my God, Rocky, I need you so badly. So number one is cash flow, right? That that is always, I think, the number one issue. And I think the reason we get into a cash flow issue is because the reality is most business owners don't, they don't like to be accountants and I don't blame them. Um, they all want to do the parts of the job they love. They went into this business to do whatever it is that they loved. And looking at a wall of numbers, thinking back to fourth grade and their math teacher going, math is hard. This is brutal. I don't want to do it. And I yeah. think that's, that is one of the major problems. The second thing is we ignore what we don't want to do, right? We focus on what we love. Everything else kind of gets pushed to the side. It amazes me that, and even if you're a solopreneur, you need to have a financial meeting with yourself at least twice a month. How much revenue did I have? Where's my money going? What's my profit? What are my accounts receivable? Who do I owe money? Like these meetings don't take long. And yes, you can have them with yourself, but look at the numbers and figure it out. And, and even starting off a business, you know, for people starting a new business or a new line, run the numbers before you do it. I can't tell you how many people have sat down and when they ran the numbers, they went, 
oh, this is a stupid business idea. <laughs> like it's never going to make money. Right. And, and I've done that. Like I had a client and he goes, well, I, I want to open another location. And I'm like, um, I know how this location is doing it and it's okay. And now you're going to a smaller market. Let's run the numbers. What do you think? Yeah, we're not doing that. <laughs> not happening. So I know our listeners are going to want more from you, Rocky. How did they start their journey with you? Um, I teach everything that I do in much more detail on my podcast, which is Profit Answer Man. So we, we literally lay this out in much more depth. Everything that I do for my clients, I teach. So you can all do it yourself. You don't have to pay me. Again, it comes back to our goal is to help you be successful. Let's make it a better country. Let's help you thrive and grow. And I don't need to make a buck off of you. So that's Profit Answer Man podcast. Nice. I love that. Awesome. Rocky, you've been absolutely fabulous. Thank you so much for your time. I appreciate it immensely. And peeps, this is Michelle Nedelec. Thank you for being with us here today. Be sure to subscribe to the show and join our Facebook group, Business Ownership Secrets to Scaling. We love helping you grow. Thank you for listening to our show. I'm all about being a resource center for entrepreneurs to give them the information and the support that they need to make it in business. As such, the notes for this show can be found at our website at awarenessstrategies.com slash blog. Be sure to subscribe, give us a rating, I like five stars personally, and share with your friends.